This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Due to the length of both programs tonight, I'm going to simply stroll back to the uh, back of the studio and snuggle in that old overstuffed leather chair and listen in along with you. We begin with a scary show from Suspense, entitled Body Snatchers. Suspense. hushed voice, the prowling step in the dead of night, the crime that is almost committed, the stir of nerves at the ticking of the clock, the rescue that might be too late, or the murderer who might get away, mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure. We invite you to enjoy stories that keep you in suspense. For Suspense, tonight we present The Body Snatchers by John Dixon Carr. Beware of the body snatcher who prowls after dark. Beware of the graves he robs. Beware of the murders he commits to provide new corpses for the doctors. Up to the year 1832, the body snatchers terrorized England. According to the law, only four bodies a year could legally be supplied to the surgeons for anatomical study. And even these were a monopoly granted to the Barbers and Surgeons Company of London. But the study of surgery had to go on. In hundreds of medical schools all over England, perfectly reputable doctors were compelled to buy bodies and ask no questions. In 1828, burst the scandal of Burke and Hare, who found grave robbing too slow and murdered 16 persons in order to supply Dr. Knox of Edinburgh. And so, out of basic good purpose, sprang the evil of... The Body Snatcher. Turn back the clock now to a cold night just 110 years ago. Look into the brick kitchen of a house on Wandsworth Common, not far from London. There in the light of a tallow dip sits old Mother Slade in her draggled bonnet. What's that keeping them? 
two hours, two mortal hours by the Dutch clock, and they're not here yet. Mother Slade? In the graveyard, not half a mile off. And once I thought I heard church bells ring, and once... Mother Slade, did you call? No, my girl, I did not call. But I thought I... And what are you doing up at this hour, my girl? I was only locking up, Mother Slade. Ain't it enough to have taken you over from a good-for-nothing mother not worth the gunpowder to blow her up? Please, Mother Slade. And given you a good home and brought you up practically like a lady with only the housework to do? I'm sorry, Mother Slade. Only I wish you wouldn't talk like that about me own mother. And what do you do, Peggy Lester? You stop up until this hour... You mislay me snuff-box twenty times a day. I was only going to say, I thought I heard a horse and cart in the lane. In our lane? Yes, Mother Slade. There it is now. Yes. Easy, my dears. Drive easy with the merchandise. The doctors don't like it if you bump the merchandise. Merchandise, Mother Slade? What's that? I'll tell you what it is, my girl. I didn't mean anything, Mother Slade. It's your Uncle Matt and your cousin Robber coming home from their business. That's what it is. You hear that, Piggy Lister? I didn't mislay your snuff box. It's on the table. And if you don't want me to take my fingernails to you instead of the strap, you get on up to bed this minute, dear. Yes, Mother Slade. I'm a-coming, my dears. Don't be impatient. I'm a-coming. Nasty dim light this candle gives. Oh, old Mother Slade has got the romantics so cruel she can hardly move. Just pull back the bar, open the door. Well, Matt, did you get it? Did we get it? Strike my blind, but that's a good one, ain't it, Rob? Stow the gad cord you get. Get inside and close the door. They ain't after you, ain't they? Can't you hear anything? I thought I heard church bells. More like a perishing funeral bell, if you ask me. Take it easy, Rob. Take it easy. We've shaken them off. Have we? I wish I was as certain as some people. The spades and the sack is still in the cart. Let them stay. Who's a coming to find them? Then you didn't get it after all, you sick scalpera. Now, don't you start a blaming us. Now, you shut your potato trap, Mother Slade, or metal make you shut it. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. We was too quick, that's what. The girl was only buried this afternoon. The sooner the better, my dear. What the good of the merchandise if it ain't fresh, eh? You hold your noise and listen. We left the orson cart outside like we always do. We creeps up to the lich gate of the church. Walk softly, Mats. Walk softly, Rob, in your oily beaver hats and neck paws, under the starlight and the white frosted elms. Take care of the graves, too. Spring guns may be set in some of them to protect the dead from marauders. And if the coffin is one of those new iron ones, all your labor will be in vain. Open the gate softly. Don't make such a bloody row with them shovels. I can't help it. I'm loaded down with all this stuff. Oh, and who'll do all the work when we do get there? I will. Matt. Aye? Listen. I can't hear nothing except your teeth are chattering. Matt. 
There's other people besides us in this here churchyard. Aye, two or three hundred deadest. But they won't bother us. I means living people. Don't talk soft. Somebody's got a dark lantern. I see it flash past the gravestones. Oh? Where? Can't you see it now? It's a coming straight toward us. Yes, I see him. Come on. They've seen us, Matt. He's got the rope down behind the gravestones. Crash down. They can't shoot through stone. Matt, it says here, sacred to the memory it's of... the a... girl's relatives. They've been watching her grave. If only I had me barkers. First time in two years I've gone without a brace of pistols, and this happens. But you ain't got your barkers, Matt Patterson. I got what's just as good. Give me a shovel. What are you going to do? Charge them. This here shovel's got a nice edge. Are you daft? They'll have to take time out to reload, won't they? Hear that? Somebody started the bill. That'll bring down every peeler within a mile. If you want a thriving ticket and a neck in your in a rope, stop where you are. But if you don't want to get scragged before your time, follow me. That's all there is to it, Mother Slade. We went out by the gate and blow me if they could stop us. You perishing numbskulls. Did they recognize you? No. We had handkerchiefs around our eyes. And did you do it? I don't know. There's blood on the shovel. No, that ain't, Mother Slade. I wiped it off. Anyway, we're here. What I want now is a Christian fire to sit by and a drop of spirits to warm my stomach. There's no spirits in the house, Matt Patterson. Don't you lie to me, you ugly man. Let go of me, Matt Patterson. I'm warning you. You better let him go, Matt. There's no spirits. Only half a loaf of bread. Don't I know it. I haven't tasted a drop of gin all day. The black dog's on me back. Well? Ark at what I say. The doctor was promised a corp tonight. All right, dearie, he gets a corp tonight. Oh, there's that funeral bell again. What's the clock, old hag? Come on, spit it out. A nice young corp without any trouble or bother. Aye. What about young Peggy upstairs? Strike me blind. What about it, eh? You'd have to be mighty careful. Why? You'd have to smother her with a pillow while I sit on her legs. That's what broken air done up in Edinburgh. Then you don't leave any marks on them. See? You're off a tick weight. What? If the doctors see they've been polished off, just plain murdered, they won't have nothing to do with it. Leastways, they don't like it. Like it or not, dearie, they all do. Who's buying the beef tonight? Dr. George Arnold. Him? The young fella out Fulham Way? That's the man, dearie. But I thought he was too pious and holy to play. That's what Dr. Arnold thought, too, till they started putting the screws on him at Bart's College. No corp, they said to him. No lecture. No lecture, no students. 
We all comes to it, dearie, sooner or later. What beats me is why they got to have these bodies. You'd think the doctors killed enough people as it is without a buying them after they was dead. Don't you question the ways of providence, Matt Patterson. You can't drink, Matt. You can't drink, Mama Slade. You stow that noise, Bob Plenty's. Do you want to wake the poor girl upstairs? But you can't do it. This Cove Arnold, he knows her. Arnold knows who? He knows Peggy. Peggy Fair worships the ground he walks on. Oh. He set her arm once when Mother Slade broke it, accidental-like, and she can't forget him. What's Arnold going to think when he opens up the sack and he finds What his... can Arnold do? He's bought her, ain't he? He can't go to the police and say he's bought her. Peggy. Peggy Lester. Don't do it, Mother Slade. Don't do it. And how do you two thickheads know what Mother Slade is going to do? They're going to kill her, ain't you? Peggy. Peggy Lester. I, I thought I heard her moving about upstairs. You did, Mr. Milk and Water. She's on the stairs now. Rob, you're the least to be depended on. Go out and fetch in the sack. Don't do it. It'll bring us all bad luck. Matt, you're a lad after me own heart. You stop where you are and do just as I tell you. Trim the candle. Let's have it all nice and snug. What'll she bring, do you think? Fifteen guineas. Maybe twenty. <laughs> Maybe more. Twenty guineas? Strike me blind. But this is a way of doing business that I like. Shh. Listen. Did you call me Mother Slade? That's right, my ducky. That's right, my little pet. Put your wrap around you and your slippers to keep your feet warm and come right down here to Mother Slade. I'm coming, Mother Slade. I'm coming. times would be a surgeon and still be an honest man. At that drugged hour of the night, look into the sitting room of a spacious house. Many candles are still alight there, though they have burned down nearly to their silver sockets. There is Chinese paper on the walls and a turkey carpet underfoot. In front of the fire, now almost out, sits Dr. George Arnold with his bottle green coat and heavy hair. Dr. Arnold, sir. Uh, I, 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 I beg your pardon, Mrs. Tancred. Dr. Arnold, sir, it's gone two o'clock. Yes, yes, oh yes, so it has. You've got a lecture to deliver tomorrow and you'll be all worn out. Why don't you go on up to bed? Mrs. Tancred. Yes, sir? You're a jewel of a housekeeper. I admire you and I can't do without you, but would you please go away and let me alone? Oh, sure, I'm very sorry, sir. No offense intended. Ah, uh, stop. I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm... Uh, I'm thinking too much, perhaps. And smoking too many cigars, if you'll excuse me. Why must they keep tolling that bell at East Hill Church? Why must they keep it up all night? Well, sir, Elsie says the parson told him to do it. Elsie... Well, wait. Ooh. Who is Elsie? Oh, Dr. Arnold, sir. I know you're always up in the clouds, mooning over books and whatnot. 
But I did think you'd recognize the name of your own parlor, mate. Oh, oh, that, Elsie. I see. Well? Elsie says it's because of the murder in the churchyard. What murder? Two resurrection men. Body snatchers, sir. Oh, you wouldn't know anything about such people. No, no. No, of course not. They were caught trying to rob a grave. But they got away. One of them was a horrible big fella. Split Willie Kendrick's head open with the edge of a shovel. Is anything wrong, sir? No, not exactly. I thought for a second, seeing how you looked. Did they... did they get the body? Yes, sir. It was Willie Kendrick. His head was split open with a shovel. No, no, I I mean, did these resurrection men get what they were after? No, sir. Thank God. Oh, you may well say that, Doctor. I wasn't exactly speaking in the religious sense, but never mind. Well, Elsie says there are what she calls peelers all over the place. Peelers? Yes, these new policemen. After Sir Robert Peel and somebody from the new detective police that they're using instead of the Bow Street Runners. Well, Mrs. Tancred, I'm going to smoke one more cigar and then I'm going to bed. Very good, sir. You see, sometimes you give orders, then it's too late to recall them. Whatever the medical practice is, you you can't look your conscience in the face afterwards. Then, I can't tell you how or why, a miracle comes along and saves you, and you're free, you're... What was that? Sounds like a horse and cart in the drive, sir. Mrs. Tancred. Yes, Doctor. Will you please go upstairs? Now make haste. Well, if it's visitors, sir, or even a patient... Mrs. Tancred, you heard my instructions. Obey them. Sir, there's the front door. Yes, I, I heard it. For the last time, go away. I will admit whatever visitors we have. Yes, sir. Good evening, dearie. Oh, come into the sitting room here, Miss... Uh, Mrs. Slade. Last, sir. Just call me Mother Slade. It don't hardly seem natural or friendly to hear anything else. It's a pleasure to curtsy to you, Doctor. Cool. What a lovely room. I... I suppose... Your candles is going out, though. One by one. Poof. Then you'll be in the dark. I suppose you've come to report failure. Failure, dear? I... I understand you didn't get what you went after. Bless you, dearie. We got something just as good. Finest piece of merchandise you ever saw. You haven't got it here. Bless you, dearie. Mother Slade always keeps her word. Bring the merchandise in, me dears, so the doctor can see it. Quiet, please. Oh, of course, dearie, I forgot. The big fellow with the black eyebrows is Uncle Matt. The little fellow with the watery eyes is Cousin Rob. And between them, in that sack, they're carrying... Who is it in the sack? Nineteen-year-old girl, dearie. Finest anatomical specimen you ever saw. Merciful Where do you want this here thing dumped, Governor? Easy now, Matt. Why did you bring it here? That's where you told us to bring it, dearie. I, I mean, why did you bring it to the front door? Why not to the surgery? Only place in the house where there was lights, Governor. Hurry up now. Where do you want it? Well, take it... Yes, dearie? Take it over and put it in the cupboard there, where I'm pointing. This cupboard here, Yes, then then close the cupboard door. Shame on you two. Tracking your muddy boots over the doctor's lovely turkey carpet. Easy, my dears, easy now. All right, Robin. Don't bruise the merchandise. Whatever you do, don't bruise the merchandise. Right, me blind, what's the odds? She can't feel it now. 
Here's your body, Mr. Sawbones. Now, let's see your money. Well, just one moment before I give it to you. There ain't no itch in this, is there? Uh, better not be. No, I I made a bargain with you, and I'll stick to it. Thank you. That's uncommon genteel of you. Kindly stand back, sir. You're two stone of fat heavier than I am, and you don't impress me. Easy, Matt. Take it easy. I, I want to ask only one question. Where did you get that body? That's a question, dearie, what people in your profession don't ask. Why not? Because they don't dare. That's why. Would the police be interested in where you got the body? No, dearie. Not half so interested in as where we brought it. To your house. It's your responsibility now. Yes, I suppose it is. The victim wouldn't be, by any chance, that pretty little girl you used to treat so unmercifully? You hold your noise about how I treated her. I was rather fond of Peggy. <laughs> Strike me blind. I think the sawbones... Oh, get out of this house, all of you. Go on, get out. Not without that money, dearie. It's 20 guineas now. There's money on the table under that newspaper. Take what you want, honey. Get out of here before I... Oh, what was that? Ah, what was it? A late visitor, I imagine. Was you expecting anybody? Eh? No. Don't drop the lovely money, Rob. Don't drop it all over the carpet. Pick it up. In the back way, are they? Yes, it's the way you should have come. Through that arch and, and down the passage. Thank you for the rhino, Governor. And no games, mind you, if you know what's good for you. Good night, dearie. Remember, you've got the body now. Yes. I've got the body now. Poor... Poor little devil. Dr. Arnold, sir. In heaven's name, Mrs. Tancred, haven't you gone to bed yet? I had to get up, sir, to answer the oh, bell. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I, I'm sorry. Oh, Dr. Arnold, what's the matter with you? Matter? You're as white as a ghost and you're almost crying. Am I? Well, we must remedy that. Oh, it's so dark in here, I could barely see you sitting there. The candles going out one after another. Nothing but smoke and an ugly smell of grease and that cupboard door. What about that cupboard door? Well, I always declare, sir, it won't keep shut without any latch or bolt, if you'll excuse the letter. Mrs. Tancred, keep away from that cupboard. Dr. Arnold, sir, are you ill or anything? No, but keep away from that cupboard. Who, who rang the bell? Oh, dear, I was almost forgetting. It's that man Elsie was talking to us about. What man? The officer of the detective police, sir. He wants to see you. Well, I'll see him, but... In some other room, not here. It's, as you say, there's not enough light. Uh, not a bit of it, Doctor, not a bit of it. Never too dark, as you might say, where the police are concerned. Oh, I couldn't help it, sir. He must have followed me down the hall. Uh, are you... Uh, that's right, Doctor. I'm Stalker at your service, Inspector Stalker. Well, how do you do, Inspector? Mrs. Tancred, you may go. By your leave, sir. I'll just get some more candles and put them in that bracket by the cupboard. It's not in use. No, you needn't trouble. Oh, it's no trouble, sir. Excuse me. First of all, Doctor, I must apologize for intruding as late as this. Uh, not at all, Inspector. Will you be seated? Thank you, sir. Thank you kindly. Now, I dare say you're wondering why I'm here. Oh, yes, I am, rather. It's a bad business, Doctor. A very bad business. You mean the... Murder in the churchyard. Oh, you've heard about it. Well, my housekeeper said something about a, a man being killed with a shovel. Well, that's right, Doctor. Not much doubt about who did that. No? No. The little fellow dropped his dark lantern with the initials on it. 
They're professional body snatchers. We've had our eye on them for a long time. Speaking of body snatchers, Doctor... Well? I expect this anatomy law is pretty hard in you surgeons. It's an infamous law, sir. All the same, Doctor, it is the law. Yes. And if any surgeon happened to be caught with a body, especially a murdered body... What What are you hinting at? Nothing, Doctor, nothing. By your leave, I only want to ask a question. Well? What time did your friends leave? Now, come, Doctor. As one man of the world to another, do you see any green in my eye? You're not going to say you had no guests when their horse and cart are still at your front door. They didn't get away. No, Doctor, they didn't. They met a little reception committee as they left by the back door. Darby's on the wrists. Snap. Just as I might reach out and touch your wrist. Like this. What do you mean by Darby's? Handcuffs. I've got a pair in my pocket. Gags into their mouths. That's to keep them from biting. Look, do, do we have to go on with this? You, you already seem to know everything I could tell you. Not exactly everything. I don't know, for instance, where you've hidden the girl's body. You're a very diligent man, Inspector Stalker. Thank you, sir. I try to do my duty. You said a, a girl? These gin-muddled degenerates have been watched every second since they left East Hill Churchyard. They hadn't a body then, but they brought one here. And there's only one other person who lives in the same house with them. Dr. Arnold, sir. Mrs. Tancred, listen to me. Yes, sir. Must you always break in with the most completely ill-timed entrances at all the worst period of my life? I was only trying to be helpful, sir. That's right, madam. Always be helpful. You had to have some light. Here's the candle, sir. Five of them in a big candelabra. We can hang them in the bracket. Ma'am, hold up that light. Hold it high. Really, sir? I'm not in the habit of being spoken to as... Hold it high, I tell you. Do as the inspector tells you, Mrs. Tancred. This is a very fine carpet you've got here, Doctor. Yes, others have admired it tonight. But it oughtn't to have footprints on it. Muddy footprints. Footprints leading from the door, past the sofa, past the half, over to... To that cupboard. Quite correct. I think that's done it, Dr. Arnold. I think it has, Inspector Stalker. Mm, he couldn't have proved anything against you for that churchyard business, but this... Let, let me open Bluebeard's cupboard, Inspector. Let me be the first to show you what's inside. You wanted a certain body. It appears you've come to the right place. Now, look. Lord Almighty. I'm the body, Mr. Police. Standing up, I'm very much alive. I'm wearing a nice new dress that the doctor gave me. That I gave you? Don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Uh, Stop a bit, miss. Aren't you Peggy Lester? Yes. Just because the doctor has to be so terribly respectable and a girl who's fond of him has to come here in secret. Wait a minute, everybody. Peggy Lester, you're lying. I am not lying. So that's it. Why didn't I guess it? It's the oldest body snatcher's trick in the world, is it? Of course, the old pinchpenny like Mother Slade couldn't sacrifice a good household grudge. Of course, they brought the body here, instead of taking it to the surgery, where it might get locked up. Could you be persuaded, Inspector, to to tell us just what you're talking about? The body snatcher, sir. Well, what about them? 
They take a living accomplice and put him into a sack and sell him to a green doctor as a dead man. Yes, but see here, I... They get the best price they can. Then in the middle of the night, that accomplice gets up and robs the doctor's house. And the doctor can't tell us because he's bought illegal goods. I never intended to go through with it. No, young woman? I tell you, I wasn't going to rob the house. They made me do this. I was going to tell Dr. Arnold. When I found out where they were taking me, I pretended to go through with it so I could warn the doctor. They can hurt so much, you'll agree to almost anything. That sounds like the truth, but it puts me in a funny position and no mistake. Well, your your three murderers, Inspector, seem to be be leaving. Yes, they're leaving right enough. Trussed up like fowls and under guard. Does anybody go with them? How can anybody go with them? I'm willing to believe this girl acted under threats. She's committed no crime. And I don't for the life of me see how we can touch you. Can't touch me? No, sir. And confound you for making me lose a night's sleep. There's no body. We didn't, you didn't even buy a body. Will you tell me, doctor, just what crime you've committed? And so ends... The Body Snatchers. The story of London at midnight, a hundred years ago. And tonight's story of... Suspense. Columbia presents these tales of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure for your relaxation and enjoyment. Next Tuesday, there will be another in this series. Same hour, 9.30 Eastern Wartime. William Spear, the producer. John Dietz, the director. Alexander Semler, the composer, conductor. And John Dixon Carr, the author, are collaborators on Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ooh, scary. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Well, we're well into March, so it's not all that far to look forward to April Fool's Day which is the title of tonight's Our Miss Brooks show. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has always tried to get along with her fellow faculty members, regardless of whether they're male or female. One thing that school teachers of either sex have in common is the fact that he, she, or them was, is, and are underpaid. But there is one definite advantage held by the men. When a male schoolteacher hasn't enough money to go to the movies, he can stay home and look at the pictures on his Esquire calendar. <laughs> I've overcome that advantage to some slight extent by making my own calendar. I've used 12 snapshots, one for each month, of Madison's bashful biologist, Philip Boynton. <laughs> there they are, right on my bedroom wall. 
January, Mr. Boynton in his up-to-the-minute raccoon coat. <laughs> February, Mr. Boynton on Valentine's Day with a big red heart-shaped box under his arm containing flies for his frog, McDougal. <laughs> then March, Mr. Boynton in plus fours, a striped blazer, and a three-propeller beanie. <laughs> Last Friday morning, when I tore the page for March off my calendar, there was Mr. Boynton with his arms around me. So I knew it was April Fool's Day. <laughs> my landlady, Mrs. Davis, knocked on my door a moment later. Come in. Good morning, Connie. Many happy returns of the day. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Happy April Fool's Day to you. Oh, what time is it anyway? I'm still sleepy. It's almost seven, Connie. I've been up for hours planning little tricks to play on people. Well, I hope you're not going to be as naughty as you were last year. Setting firecrackers off in our yard to make everybody think it was Fourth of July. <laughs> well, that was fun, wasn't it? Yes, until one of your pinwheels joined me in the shower. <laughs> Let's see now. I came up here to tell you something rather important. Oh, dear me. Whenever I talk to my sister Angela, I become almost as absent-minded as she is. We had quite a conversation on the phone this morning. How is Angela? Fine, thank you. But she's so flighty. Why, right in the middle of our telephone conversation, she forgot that she was talking about completely. I'm worried about her. It's like I was telling my brother the other day, we've got to do something, I said. You've got to do something? About what? <laughs> I was just repeating what you said to your brother. Which brother? I don't know. Your brother Victor, I guess. I guess so. Well, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? Mrs. Davis, you came in here to tell me something. Now, try and remember what it was so I can take a shower and get dressed and forget about it. Oh, yes. One of your students is waiting for you in the living room, Walter Denton. Walter Denton? What's he doing here so early? All right, Connie, I'll tell him. <laughs> Poor thing. She's got so much on her mind she can't concentrate. Hi, Mrs. Davis. Walter, what are you doing here? You just left me here, Mrs. Davis. Oh, and you went in to see Miss Brooks. Oh. Oh, uh, that reminds me. What are you doing here so early? Well, it's a big secret, Mrs. Davis, but I'll tell you if you promise to keep it strictly confidential. I promise. You won't forget now. I won't forget what now? <laughs> to keep it confidential. To keep what confidential? <laughs> I guess it's safe with you. This newspaper column, the one called Dorothy Daly's Daily Advice to the Heart Sore. Oh, I read that all the time. You never read a letter like this one, though, I'll bet. Listen, dear Dorothy Daly, I teach English in high school, but my chief interest lies in a fellow teacher of the opposite sex whose initials are PB. No matter how I try, I can't seem to make any progress with him. I'm attractive without being ravishing, intelligent without being stuffy, cheerful without being a Pollyanna. But mostly I'm without PB. <laughs> Can you help me sign CB? Well, I certainly sympathize with that young lady, but... Uh, now, wait a minute. Connie Brooks. Walter, do you think the CB in this letter could be the CB? I think the CB could be... I'm positive it is. Look who she's stuck on. PB, Philip Boynton. Oh, but Walter, PB could stand for anybody. Why, it could stand for Paul Bunyan. <laughs> Mrs. 
Mrs. Davis, you're closer to Miss Brooks than any of us. Does she know anybody named Paul Bunyan? No, not that I know of. Then there you are. She's got to be CB. But, Walter, do you honestly think Miss Brooks would write a letter like this to a public newspaper? Well, sure. Mrs. Davis, haven't you heard the famous epigram, Love in its desperation turns to many strange devices? <laughs> no, Walter. Who said that? I did. <laughs> Look, Mrs. Davis, we won't embarrass Miss Brooks by mentioning it in front of her, but we've got to try and help her. Uh, listen to Dorothy Daly's answer to Miss Brooks. Dear CB, come out of your shell. Improve your personality and don't be afraid to be the life of the party. Then watch your Mr. PB sit up and take notice. Yours for nailing them down before they can wriggle off the hook, Dorothy Daly. <laughs> There's our problem, Mrs. Davis. We've got to give Miss Brooks a personality. I never noticed that she didn't have any. Now, remember, Mrs. Davis, not a word to a soul. Of course, I've told Harriet Conklin so she can tell her father he has to give a party tonight which Miss Brooks can go to and be the life of. That's pretty short notice, isn't it? That's why we have to wake her up so early. This new personality's a rush job. Oh, careful, here she comes. Hiya, CB, how's everything? Okay. Well, no, W.D., it's N.G. N.G.? I didn't get enough S.L.E.P. What? Sorry, S.L.E.A.P. Oh, sleep! If you'll excuse me, I'll get some breakfast for us. I'll call you when it's ready. All right, Mrs. Davis. Now then, Walter, what's the crisis? Crisis? Oh, there's no crisis. I just thought it would be nice to have a little chat. In the middle of the night? Now, look, Walter, this April Fool's business leaves me pretty cold. So if you're playing any pranks... Oh, this has nothing to do with April Fool, Miss Brooks. It's just that I've been making a study of personalities lately, and I've come to the conclusion that we should all come out of our shell. Good, but let's not come out until 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now, there's nothing like parlor magic to make anybody the life of the party. Uh, for instance, have you seen the disappearing quarter trick? Look, I hold this quarter between my thumb and third finger like this. Then I make a few magic passes. And presto! Where's the quarter? On the floor. Well, I haven't practiced enough yet, but a trick like this you could learn easy. I could learn it easily. I knew you'd go for it. <laughs> now, here, take the quarter in your left hand. Look, Walter, making money disappear is no trick for a school teacher. Let's get some way to make some appear, then we'll have something. Breakfast is ready. Oh, come on into the dinette, Walter. Just sit right down. You sit here, Walter. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. Drink your juice first, and I'll bring the rest out in a minute. All right, Mrs. Davis. That's funny. This is orange juice. What's funny about that? The last breakfast Mrs. Davis prepared for me began with marinated olive juice. <laughs> Odd recipes, all right. Oh, say, I just thought of another great party trick. It's called the spoon in the empty glass trick. Here, I've got two spoons right here. Now, I place the back of one behind the front of the other, and by means of leverage, plop it right into the empty glass. So. <laughs> oh, gosh, the glass wasn't empty. It is now. <laughs> My lap isn't as empty as it was. <laughs> upset you, Miss Brooks. One of the truest things ever said is the quotation, a damp garment should not dampen the spirits of the wearer. Who said that? I did. <laughs> Here we are. Now, Connie, I want to surprise you. Close your eyes before I put this food down in front of you. 
Go ahead now. Please close them tight. All right, Mrs. Davis. They're closed. There. Now, before you open them, guess what we've got for breakfast. Uh, salmon patties fried in Cointreau? <laughs> no, I ran out of Cointreau. <laughs> Try again. Uh, wheat cakes and raviolis? No. <laughs> I guess you better give up. Open your eyes. Why, what's this? Plain scrambled eggs, toast, and coffee? That's right, Connie. April Fool! <laughs> Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith. Want to win $49,000 in cash? That's right, $49,000 in cash. The first prize offered by the makers of Palmolive Soap in their big, exciting 49 Gold Rush Contest. Second prize, $4,900. And there are 4,949 other cash prizes. What a chance to win $100,000 in cash prizes, and it's easy to enter. Simply finish this sentence, I like palm olive soap because, in 25 words or less, that's all. Just 25 words or less to finish the sentence, I like palm olive soap because. Then mail your entry right away along with the palm olive soap wrapper. Easy, isn't it? And remember, thousands will strike it rich in this big 49 gold rush contest. Enter as often as you like. Get entry blanks and complete rules from your dealer or send your entries on plain paper with your name and address and dealer's name and address plus one palm olive wrapper for each entry. Mail to Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. You better write that down. Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. But hurry, your last chance. Contest closes next Saturday. Get palm olive soap right away to help win a lovelier complexion and try for your share of the $100,000 in cash prizes. Well, Walter Denton's moving full speed ahead in his efforts to aid CB take Dorothy Daly's advice concerning PB. Let's look in now on another of the conspirators, Harriet Conklin, as she speaks to her father in the principal's office. So all you have to do, Daddy, is to invite this party to the party when she comes by this morning. But I don't see any reason for it, Harriet. I'm getting sick and tired of this constant round of parties. One mad whirl after another. Daddy, the last party you gave was on Thanksgiving. Oh, this is vital, Daddy. I can't go into embarrassing details, but we've got to bring somebody out of herself. Oh, you've just got to invite Miss Brooks to our party. Miss Brooks? But she has a party every day, all day long. <laughs> it only seems that way because of her pleasant exterior. Believe me, there are days when her heart is sorely beset beneath that gay surface and lies in her bosom like a dead thing. <laughs> that must be Miss Brooks now. Well, I won't go through with it, Harriet. I absolutely refuse Listen, to have any... Daddy. You promised Mother you'd go on a diet, didn't you? Yes, but what has that got to if do with If you without... don't invite Miss Brooks to our party tonight, I'll take that bar of fudge out from under your desk blotter and show it to Mother. <laughs> Come in, my dear. <laughs> I was told that you wanted to see me, Mr. Conklin. Oh, hello, Harriet. Hi, Miss Brooks. Daddy has something he wants to tell you. Uh, yes, yes. I've been coerced into having a little party at our place tonight, Miss Brooks. And if you have nothing else to do, we'd like you to come. Well, thanks, Mr. Conklin. I'd love Of course, to... if you can't come, we may just drop the whole thing. <laughs> Daddy, I think I'll change the water on your desk right now. No, no. Uh, that is, I'm sure it'll be nice to get together. All right, Mr. Conklin. Then if that'll be all, I'll see you tonight. I'll be looking forward to it. <laughs> 
dismissed. I'll walk out with you, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Thanks, Daddy. And next time, try the ones with the nuts in them. Quiet, girl. <laughs> you know, Miss Brooks, there's nothing like a party to bring a person out of her shell. You too, Harriet? I'm beginning to like it in here. <laughs> now, the next thing you have to do, Miss Brooks, is to meet us in the music appreciation room as soon as lunch period gets here. The music appreciation room? You know the old saying, music has charms to soothe the savage breast. Yes, but I've been dating very few savages lately. <laughs> Look, Harriet, what in the world is this I've all I've got to get to my French class now, but I'll see you at lunchtime. And remember, if you want P.B. to eat out of your hand, you've got to cooperate, C.B. <laughs> S.O.S. Hiya, Miss Brooks. Mind if I walk down the hall with you? Not at all, Walter. I'm just going to the music appreciation room to meet Harriet. But don't ask me why. I know why, Miss Brooks. Because tonight's party is an everybody-who-comes-must-do-something party. And we've got something swell doped out for you to do. For me to do? You'll find out about it in a minute. Hey, here's the music room, Miss Brooks. Let's go in. That'll be all for today. Well, he came a long way to practice. Very clever. Very clever. I'm sure he'll make a fine musician if he concentrates on his violin and stops telling jokes. Hello, Miss Brooks. Well, we're all set. We are? Did you bring it, Mr. Pringle? Got it right in this case, Walter. Good. You know, Miss Brooks, tonight's an everybody-who-comes-must-do-something party. Yes, I know, and I think I know what I'm going to do, too. What? Stay home. <laughs> oh, don't be ridiculous, Miss Brooks. You know how well Miss Enright plays the piano, don't you? What has Miss Enright's playing the piano got to do with me? Well, plenty. She's coming to the party tonight, and you know how she likes to show off in front of Mr. Boynton. But we're going to see to it that you're the life of the party. Well, come on, Harriet. We got some more arrangements to make. Okay, Walter. You just put yourself in Mr. Pringle's hands completely, Miss Brooks. That's right. If you put yourself in Mr. Pringle's hands now, who knows? You may wind up in Mr. Boynton's arms later. <laughs> I'll see you tonight, CB. <laughs> know what this is all about, Mr. Pringle. Uh, take it easy, Miss Brooks. All the children want you to do is learn a very simple little specialty for the party tonight. Now, tell me, do you have any musical education at all? Well, when I was a little girl, I played in our Girl Scout band. Really? What instrument? The tuba. <laughs> I didn't keep at it, though. It did something to my lips. <laughs> you must have started too young. It's a difficult instrument to master. Yes, for months after I gave it up, I couldn't drink a malted without swallowing the straw. <laughs> well, what I've got in mind for you won't offer any difficulties, I'm sure. Now, this is a ukulele. It's the only instrument upon which a novice can pick out a simple tune in no time at all. Now, here, uh, just place one finger on this fret. So, now this one here. That's right. Now, play a chord. Go ahead, try it. <laughs> all right, I'll try. Washington at Valley Forge Took bitter cold and up spoke George Lo, do, 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 do Take my lips and do your duty Everybody calls me cutie One book That's wonderful Let's sing some together All right, Mr. Pringle 
Paul Revere on his midnight ride rode through town and loudly cried, Go, do, 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 Shake my hand and call me Max. I've got a charge account at Saks. <laughs> What's the meaning of this, Mr. Pringle? And what are you doing in Mr. Pringle's music room during lunch period, Miss Brooks? I just dropped in for a melody burger. I mean... <laughs> I wanted to see if I remembered something Leave I... this room at once. As for you, Mr. Pringle, aren't you supposed to be at lunch during this period? Yes, sir. I was just going, sir. Well, put that ridiculous-looking instrument down and get out. Yes, sir. Come on, Miss Brooks. Naturally. Yeah. This is graceful. Carrying on in the middle of a school day. And with a... A ukulele. <laughs> My dog has fleas. <laughs> boom, 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 hold that tiger. Boom, 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 hold that tiger. Boom, boom, hold that tiger. Boom, hold that tiger. Well, what do you think of the party so far, Mr. Boynton? Oh, it's very nice, Miss Brooks, but I'm a little worried. Everybody's supposed to get up and, and do something, aren't they? Well, that's the idea. Gosh, there isn't anything I could possibly do to entertain anybody. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> of course, I, I did make a speech some months ago to my biology club, but well, they're all men. I couldn't repeat that in front of mixed company. Oh, why not, Mr. Boynton? What was the subject of the speech? Well, I'd rather not mention it, Miss Brooks. It's, it's a little racy. Well, I'll just listen with one ear. What was it? Well, it was called the primitive urge of the sturgeon to swim upstream. That's funny. I always thought the sturgeon didn't need any urging. <laughs> Look, Mr. Boynton, I'm as nervous as you are about getting up and doing anything, but maybe we could do something together. Like what, Miss Brooks? Well, I just happen to have with me tonight this ukulele. <laughs> oh, you... I haven't seen one of those things since my college days. It's really very simple to pick up. It all came back to me in a flash. See, you just put one finger here. That's right. Now, this one here, so. Now, try it. Strum it, Mr. Barton. All right. I'll see you in my dreams. Hold you in my... Don't be bashful. Hold that, Pucker. You're the best since Sophie Tucker. on the Keith Circuit. Here <laughs> you are, Mr. I've been looking all over for you. Oh, hello, Miss Enright. And dear Miss Brooks, may I join you? You have. <laughs> there seems to be room on this couch for three. Don't you think so? Only if I sit in the middle. <laughs> there we are. <laughs> Miss Brooks is so possessive. You don't ever want to share Mr. Boynton with anyone, do you, dear? The property has only been optioned. It is not ready for subdivision. <laughs> 
anybody wants cake and coffee, it's on the table. Just help yourself, please. Oh, I think I'll get some. Mrs. Cochran certainly knows the way to a man's heart. I like the overland route myself. <laughs> you run along, Mr. Boynton. Oh, can I bring you ladies something? Just yourself, dear Mr. Boynton. Uh, yes. How about you, Miss Brooks? No, thanks. Not right now. Well, I'll be right back in a minute. <sighs> Well, no doubt you've got your specialty all prepared, Miss Brooks. Oh, it's nothing, really. I didn't imagine it would be. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to play the piano myself. That should be lovely. It's obvious from your build that you've moved enough of them. <laughs> very funny. I wonder how funny you'll feel when I get up and read this letter in Dorothy Daly's columns. Letter? Yes, I've got the clipping right here. It's signed C.B., and it says, Dear Dorothy Daly, I teach English in high school, but my chief interest lies in a fellow teacher of the opposite sex whose initials are P.B. P.B.? Wait a minute, Philip Boyne. Exactly. It goes on to tell how C.B. can't make any progress with P.B. at all and pleads for advice. Oh, but Miss Enright, you don't think that... Why, I didn't write that letter. I know you didn't. I did. You? <laughs> a little April Fool's joke, Miss Brooks. But of course, when I read it, I won't mention that detail. And even if you do, it'll just look like a natural attempt to cover your embarrassment. But, Miss Enright, even you wouldn't... Why, attention, I... folks, attention. We come now to that part of the party we've all been looking forward to so eagerly. The part where everybody must get up and do something. First, I'd like to introduce Madison's beloved English teacher, our Miss Brooks. <laughs> Enjoy your brief moment, my dear. I'm going to follow you on with this juicy little tidbit. What do you mean, brief moment? I'm loaded with entertainment. <laughs> what are you going to do for us tonight? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I thought I'd do a few medleys of songs on the ukulele, then a few recitations, and maybe a parlor trick or two. First, the songs. Washington, the valley forged, was bitter cold, and up spoke George. So much for the songs. Now I'd like to recite for Just you. Just a moment, Miss Brooks. You've been on for over Please, an hour. Please, Miss Enright. Miss Brooks isn't finished. Thank you, Harriet. <laughs> Under the spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. As you can see, I have here in my hand an ordinary deck of playing cards. And now I'd like to show you a fascinating parlor game. Mr. Conklin, do you have a phone book I could borrow? Oh, I, yes, Miss Brooks. There's one right here on this table, but don't you think it's a little late to phone anyone? It's almost 12 o'clock. Oh, I'm not going to phone anyone. Walter, get a piece of paper and a pencil, please. Okay, Miss Brooks. Well, I think this is the most... Please, Miss Enright. You're interrupting, Miss Brooks. Thank you, Walter. Now, the idea of this game is to guess which name in the phone book I'm thinking of. <laughs> you start with the A's. If you get a feeling that I've said the one I'm concentrating on, just call out. Ready? Go. Abbott, Abernathy, Ackerman, Addison. Pasco, Peyton, Peniman, Primpichak. Zimmerman. Zimmerman A, Zimmerman B. <laughs> Hasn't anyone got a feeling yet? <laughs> Mr. Boynton, how about... Mr. Boynton, 
Where are you? Mr. Boynton went home, Miss Brooks. He went home? When? Right after Mr. and Mrs. Conklin went to bed. <laughs> he said he didn't want to disturb him, so Miss Enright drove him home. Miss Enright drove... Well, that's the last straw. You know, of course, Walter, that it was Miss Enright who wrote that Dorothy Daly letter. Miss Enright? That's right, Walter. She signed my initials, but it was her letter that Dorothy Daly answered in her column. Boy, what a dirty trick. I'm sorry you were so embarrassed, Miss Brooks. If you think I was embarrassed tonight... Just wait, Walter, till you see to me tomorrow when Dorothy Daly answers the letter I wrote her. Steve Martin, as our Miss Brooks, returns in just a moment. But first, dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only Luster Cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster Cream. Not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean. Free of loose dandruff. Glistening with sheen. Soft. Manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I had a date with Mr. Boynton on the following day, and I couldn't wait to find out if Miss Enright had told him about the Dorothy Daly column. Sure enough, it was the first thing he mentioned when he came by to pick me up. Uh, that letter in the paper, Miss Brooks, it, it certainly has me puzzled. Puzzled, Mr. Boynton? Uh, yes, I, I know, of course, that you're CB, but who in the world is PB? <laughs> I thought sure you'd guess. PB is an old flame of mine, a fellow named Paul Bunyan. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Sherlock Holmes, followed by Fibra McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.